from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. Achieving a high-performance culture, especially during challenging times, requires three key elements. Employees must be engaged, enabled, and energized. That's the word from Adrian Gostick and Chester Elton, co-founders of The Culture Works and co-authors of more than a dozen books on leadership, including the best-selling All In, The Carrot Principle, and The Best Team Wins. I'm Bill Merrick, Deputy Editor with CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News Podcast, Gostick and Elton explain why communication must increase exponentially during a crisis. If communication is lacking, they say, employees fill the void with rumor, innuendo, and fear. Gostick and Elton also share highlights from their research on workplace culture and engagement and address unique challenges for financial institutions, what makes employees excited to come to work, signs your corporate culture is lacking, and more. They addressed a CUNA CEO Council virtual roundtable late last year on culture during the age of COVID. So you've done a lot of research about workplace culture and engagement. What stands out most from your research? And what were some of the biggest surprises that you found from your research? About 10 years ago, we, we began really pulling a lot of research into our work. We wrote a book called All In, which is uh, still is one of the best-selling books ever on workplace culture. And we, with that, we, we had conducted a 300,000-person survey of workplaces during the last Great Recession in 2008 and 2009. We have a lot of financial services organizations in our database. We end up working with a lot of big credit unions, banks, other sort of credit companies. And so one of the things we found, one of the big ahas, as you ask, was that we found in tough times, there's three things that really have to happen to have a high-performance culture. The first is that you have to have engaged employees, which we all know. We've all been talking about engagement for decades, and yet none of us seem to know how to do it. In fact, engagement levels are dropping in this country, despite all we know about it. I mean, what other business process do we know so much about and do so little about? So you've got to have engaged employees. The second thing you've got to have is enabled employees, and that's more than empowered. Enablement means I'm supported. I do have the right level of empowerment within my branch or within my department, here at head office, or wherever I am, but it's also that I feel I have the right training, the right equipment at my disposal, and I really do feel supported by the organization. That's incredibly important during crisis times. The third finding we found in culture building, especially during tough times, is that we have to feel energized, our people do. And energy levels tend to ebb, especially when things are tough. People are burned out, they're, whether they're going into branches, whether they're, they're working from home, they're just feeling, you know, it's, you know, it's just too much. We add on top of that civil unrest, there's just so much that's going on for people that we as leaders have to keep energy levels up. And one of the things we found that would drive that is, is through purpose, is by helping people understand this is how we make our clients' financial lives better and really helping them understand the noble cause we have at the credit union. That's is why we go in every day. Seems like fostering engagement and a healthy culture is hard enough during normal times when everyone's all in the office. 
How do you do this during a pandemic when a big bulk of your workforce is working remotely? We talk a lot about being very uh, disciplined and intentional about reaching out. You know, you've got to make sure you're touching base with people. You know, we were dealing, uh, or still are, are actually a wonderful uh, restaurant chain, Texas Roadhouse. And it, really interesting, you know, when they shut down all the restaurants, and by the way, they've got 600. People don't realize how big Texas Roadhouse really is because they don't have a national ad campaign. Two things went up exponentially, and they were very intentional and very disciplined about it. It was their communication. They met every day. You know, in a communication void during a crisis, that void gets filled with rumor, innuendo, and fear. And none of those are helpful, right? So communication went way up. They were meeting every morning. We had access to their early morning meetings, uh, didn't we, Adrian? And it was amazing that they would go through the supply chain. They'd go through the employees. Are we keeping everybody safe? Are we keeping the employees safe? Have we got enough PPE? Have we got enough steak? Have we, and on and on. And then how can we serve our communities? It was very, very intentional. That it, was, it was their employees, their customers, and their community. And the second thing was this gratitude went way up. And it was really interesting that even at the executive level, they go through all these issues of where's the stuff and every state was different. It was different in Wisconsin than it was in Kentucky and so on. That at the very end, they made sure that they celebrated something. And they'd even say, Adrian, we love that they'd say, uh, well, now we're going to have you know, Frank from uh, Oshkosh and uh, he's going to give us uh, a little positivity and he's going to bark us out. And we go, bark you out. <laughs> this is a billion dollar company, all these executives, and he'd, he'd, he'd get something to rally around, some great story, and then he'd say, and that's my story, let's bark it up, and I'll go, woo, 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 woo. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. And yet, you know, it kept the emotion light and good. And of course, leadership is contagious, right? So those leaders that got all that information and then ended on such a high note, they would take all that energy and all that information, and they'd spread it throughout uh, their restaurants. So yeah, you know, I think now whether you've got people working from home or you still have people coming in and, and remotely that Adrian talked about the engage, enable and energize, you've got to up your communication exponentially. And geez, don't forget to look for those small wins, bark them out, have some fun and, and, and keep the momentum rolling. Would, would, would you add anything to that, Adrian? Or? I think that was great. I think the other thing that I would add is this is really is time for innovation Sometimes we feel in financial services, look, this is the way we've always done it because you're regulated, because we, we follow tried and true processes, but this really is the time for some innovation in how we serve our customers. The other thing that Adrian makes a great point on in innovation is especially in times when you are innovating out of necessity and you've got to do it quickly to remember you're not going to get it right all the time. And to keep your culture a safe place to innovate where, you know, you make mistakes, that's okay. We're trying new stuff. We're not always going to get it right. So that when a crazy idea comes up and you get all excited, when it doesn't work, you don't shut it down. So you never get another great idea, right? We talk a lot about psychological safety that's become a very common and a good term, I think. Are your employees physically safe? Are they also emotionally safe? to come up with a crazy idea, no matter how crazy it is. Like at Texas Roadhouse, one of the guys said, look, there's a meat shortage. You might remember that, Bill. There was a, a kind of thing. And he says, man, we got more meat than we can handle. Let's, let's do a farmer's market on the weekend and we'll do curb to grill. And they sell them the raw steaks. And the guy down in North Carolina, he had people waiting in line for four hours 
to buy his steaks. He said, why would you wait for, in the line for four hours? Well, this is when everybody was locked down because what else am I going to do? <laughs> you know, and it was this crazy idea. And of course, you could think of a million reasons why you shouldn't do it. And yet they figured out how to do it. And that restaurant that weekend didn't have just the best day in the history of that restaurant. It had the best day in the history of any Texas Roadhouse restaurant in the middle of this crisis. So safe to innovate, try some crazy things. They don't always work. This one did. And it opened the door for a lot of other crazy things and, and innovation. So it seems like maybe increased innovation is one positive that might have come out of the pandemic. Can you think of any other positives that have come out of this in terms of culture and engagement? Well, I think one thing, and it really does depend on, on the leadership, because one thing we're finding, a lot of our clients are telling us what this pandemic has done has exposed any gaps we had in our culture. So for instance, if we weren't good at holding people accountable before, we're, we're probably doubly bad now. If we weren't the best at communication, we probably are, again, doubly bad now. So in a way, it has exposed those things that we should have been working on before. And we are finding the good that is coming out of it is that we are learning how to work a little bit more remotely, which isn't necessarily a terrible thing. We're figuring out we can do this. We can have Zoom meetings. We don't need to be jumping on planes all the time. We don't need to be, in many cases, if, you have a, if your credit union has a big area, you don't necessarily have to be driving here and there if you're a regional manager or, or a senior leader. We can do a lot remotely, which has really helped cultures to be able to be a lot more adaptive, a lot more in touch with each other and realize, you know, this technology exists and we can be connected with each other. For managers who really care and leaders that care, it's also provided a great opportunity to get to know their people a lot better. Instead of, uh, you know, just sort of those touch-ins now and then, they're realizing they have to talk with their people almost every day. And it's not just how you're doing, you know, it's how are you doing today, because today is probably different than yesterday. Now, Chess, what would you add? Yeah, everything Adrian said, and it does expose some cracks in the culture, you know, for example, the credit unions, how valuable your frontline employees really are. And to be careful to take care of them because you can build up some resentment. I'm having to go into the branch every day. You get to work from home. You know, even though working from home may not be the greatest thing, this idea of, you know, our frontline people really are important and we really need to focus and make sure they feel valued and and loved and appreciated. The other positive I think that has come out of COVID is it really leveled the playing field because the senior executives and the junior executives, all of a sudden, everybody's working from home, right? And as Adrian said, you get to know your people. You know, this employee has got four kids in Zoom school, which is, you know, a nightmare in and of itself. And, you know, the executive may have an aged parent that they're looking out for. So all of a sudden, everybody got hit the same way. And that empathy in leaders, I think, really skyrocketed that said, you know what, Zoom school really is hard. There is a lot of anxiety out there around aging parents or, you know, I've, I've got a dear friend and, and his wife has asthma. They're not going anywhere. And yet he's this, you know, senior executive doing all kinds of stuff. And his empathy for employees that are in a similar situation went way up. So I think that was a real positive, again, the importance of your line workers that are coming to work and perhaps in harm's way. And secondly, uh, the leveling of the playing field. We're all dealing with kind of the same stuff. Have you seen any challenges that are unique to financial institutions in terms of culture and engagement? There are some 
issues, as I was mentioning, you know, being highly regulated, you know, we tend to, in financial institutions, have to follow a set of rules that, that may preclude us from feeling like we can be a little bit more creative in the ways that we serve customers. And yet we find as we dig in and teams start really working that there are a lot of things that they really can be doing. And we'd fall into that's the way we've always done it syndrome. And so this idea of innovation being so important, it really is in these times. So typically we'll go into a financial services organization and the CEO will tell us, hey, look, guys, before you go up and you work with my managers, I want you to get them to really push the envelope and, and take risks. And we go, really? Uh, you know, this is a credit union. And they go, no, no, no. We've got to be more innovative or we're going to get our lunch eaten by online vendors coming in, disrupting banks that are doing more creative things, trying to take our space, et cetera. What can we do to be more aggressively innovative? And so that's one thing we, we see is that not just in these times, but we really do see cultures becoming very set in their ways in the financial institutions, but it is something that has to be worked through with really effective leadership. Chess, what would you add? I agree. That is kind of the uh, safety blanket to never do anything new <laughs> is that we're highly regulated. I'd also add to that that sometimes we do get caught in the trap that, well, we're a credit union and so we are so different than everyone else. When, you know, we time and time again say, you know, if you've got people working for you, you've kind of got a lot of the same issues as a lot of other people's too. So don't get so caught up in the fact that we are so unique. Because yes, there are some pecuniary differences. At the same time, there are a lot of things that you have in common. You know, you've got people going into your branches. You've got people at Lockheed Martin going to the assembly lines. Don't get locked into that. We are so different that we can't. Yeah. You know, say, look, there's a lot of people innovating. What can we learn from Lockheed Martin? What can we learn from Texas Roadhouse? What can we learn from other places? And simple things, you know, how we interact with customers, how we let people in and let people out, how we mark the floor. All those little things are innovative and yet have nothing to do with regulatory uh, laws. So what makes people excited to come to work every day? One of the things that's important to remember is that we are all very different. And yet we tend, in our business, we tend to clump people all together. And we say, it's interesting work. That's what makes people come to work every day excited. Or it's using their creativity. Or it's this, that, or the other. And what we found, and now 20 years doing this and a million people surveyed, we find it depends. That's the answer. And the trouble is most leaders are a little lazy. We like to say, everybody likes to be recognized. Well, no, some people hate to be recognized. It's like, leave me alone. I want to be down here in my little cave and I don't want anybody to recognize me. Other people, that's what they thrive on. Some people like to know they're making an impact in the organization, making things better. Other people are driven by learning and growth opportunities. And so we've actually developed a motivator's assessment that helps managers understand really what drives people. And we found actually 23 human motivators, and we're all very different. Myself, I'm driven by ideas like creativity and autonomy, family. Chester is very much driven by ideas like friendship and teamwork and service we're very different. And if I'm a manager, I'm not going to manage the two of us the same way. It's not going to be effective. So we used to say, you know, we treat everybody the same because that's fair. We found recently, that's a terrible way to manage, that the way to get engagement is to figure out what drives each person and manage to their unique motivators. Everybody has to follow the rules. That's the same for everybody. 
but the way we motivate people is different for everyone. Yeah. And I think one of the dangers is we project. I'm motivated by money. Therefore, my whole team is motivated by money, you know, yeah. and, and to be careful of that. I think, you know, COVID gives us a chance in particular to really dive a little deeper and say, really, what is it that motivates you? We love leaders that ask questions like, you know, where do you want to be three to five years from now? There's an assumption everybody wants to get promoted. No, they don't. I was just talking to my daughter out in Iowa City. She's a library sciences master's working at a little local library and the directorship has come up. And I said, so you're going to pitch that? She goes, no way. That job's a nightmare. <laughs> I love what I'm doing with the kids and stuff. I'm happy where I am. And, uh, and you know, to her ambitious dad, it was like, come on, go for the job, get the raise, you know? And uh, so we've got to know our employees. And as Adrian said, our motivators assessment has become a, a spectacular tool and a guide, not just for the leaders and how they lead, especially how they engage their teams and, and appreciate diversity and not just diversity in gender and age and race and so on, diversity in thought and diversity in motivation. Adrian made the point, he and I are very, very different. That's why we stayed good friends and partners for so long. Because, you know, we fill in those gaps. The things that Adrian loves to do are things that I'm just not good at. And the things that I love to do are things that Adrian's not as interested in. And yet together we make almost a, almost a, a whole person. <laughs> <laughs> what are some signs that you're Corporate culture isn't all that it should be. Turnover is always a good indicator. Absenteeism is always a good indicator. If people don't believe that what they do matters and then it's really important that they, they show up late or they don't show up, there's a lot of apathy. I think those are key indicators. And of course, they translate into financial indicators very quickly. Customer loyalty and customer satisfaction goes down. We talk a lot about making sure your employees are emotionally engaged at work? Do they really understand not just what we do and how we do it? Do they get the why? You know, as Adrian mentioned earlier, the importance of what it is we do, helping people save for a car so that they can, you know, get to work or education for their kids or getting their first mortgage to buy their first house. When you lose sight of those kinds of things, you know, your culture's in trouble. One other indicator is if you've got your core values, and we always love looking at this with organizations. What are your core values? Oh, we've got 16 core values. You've got, you have, you have or, no core values. Yeah, or I, they're around here somewhere. Let me <laughs> see if I can find them, right? If people can't tell you their core values, that they can't give you the 30-second elevator speech, odds are your culture's in trouble. Adrian, you know, you, I'm sure you've got some thoughts on this. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. It's an important one. Again, it, it varies based on, well, well, typically when we go into an organization, We'll do an assessment of where they're at. One of the things we'll typically look at is the level of trust. Can you, for instance, could you give you know, a bit of bad news to your boss? Could you be honest with them about something that you wanted to argue with them about? If you can't, that's a huge red flag. If you couldn't even bring up something perhaps that's concerning, perhaps that it would violate a regulation that would harm a customer or would violate a process or procedure and you couldn't bring it up, that's a problem in an organization that we typically see. It's sort of a first warning sign of a lack of trust. What do you see for the future of a healthy corporate culture and, and engagement? How will it evolve, I guess, in the months ahead or the years ahead? I think the cultures that are really um, high in empathy are going to win. You know, they really care about the whole individual. You know, they're not checking their personal lives at the door. We understand your key motivators. We understand your family life. We understand where you want to be in three to five years. And we're going to do everything we can 
to get you there, you know, really appreciating that diversity and the fact that rarely do people work nine to five. We've all got smartphones. We're all, you know, the old country song, it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> you know, we expect everybody to respond. So I, I really do think the organizations of the future that are really going to succeed are those that really appreciate the entire employee and are more um, empathetic. Adrian? Every one of your credit union employees are a knowledge worker. You know, they're, whether they're, you know, in technology, whether they're working a branch with a customer service, whatever they're doing, you're hiring knowledge workers. And that is a unique group that really needs to be taken much better care of than we, we have been. That's a group that needs to be listened to. If you really want to spike engagement levels, focus first and foremost on listening to the people who are, who are dealing with your customers, who are on the front lines. As Chester says, they'll be more empathetic. They'll also listen better, the cultures of the future that will thrive. They'll be a lot more mindful of people's mental health as well, as well as their physical health. If you could offer one piece of advice to credit union CEOs about achieving a healthy corporate culture, what would it be? It would be actually pay attention to your culture. Because whether or not you pay attention to it, you have a culture. If you tend to it, if you're deliberate about it, you can create a place where people love coming into work, they give their best. It really is as important, uh, we would argue more important than even your regulatory oversight, your customer base, et cetera. Taking care of your people is going to create a place where they take care of all those other things for you. So I would say, first off, be very deliberate as you build your culture. Figure out what your mission is, your vision, your values, and then find ways to inculcate those, to live those. Chess? My mantra, and, and I share it with all the executives we coach, is be kind, be grateful, and be of service. Don't discount kindness, especially now. Simple little random acts of kindness go so far. Be grateful for the sacrifices your people are making. Like Adrian says, take care of your people. And then three, you know, be of service. Be the leader that's there that does things. And uh, it's like your mom and dad touch. It's always better to give than to receive. And, and you know what we're finding in our coaching, especially, is leaders that are that way are a lot happier. They're not worrying about themselves so much. They're worrying about the culture. They're worrying about their people. They're kind. They're grateful. They're of service. And I think that's an indication of leaders that really are engaged in building healthy cultures. So what's next for you guys? What's your next big project? We've got a book coming out in May of next year on anxiety at work. So we really will be addressing that issue. We had been beginning long before 2020 and the unrests and the pandemic, et cetera. We'd been seeing rising anxiety levels in the employees that we were surveying in the companies, uh, especially young people who some reports show as many as half of young people have, uh, whether it can be called clinical levels of depression, anxiety, and stress in, on the workplace, if we're not addressing this, whether we have a small credit union or we have thousands of employees, we are going to not be able to retain the best people. What we're finding is half your workforce when you have young people can have symptoms of this. And if we're not addressing it, we really are missing out. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio.